This is Carl the Jackal Frampton. Hi, this is David Healy. Hello, this is Stephen Ferris. Hi, I'm Bethany Ferris. Hi, this is Joey Barton. I'm Jonas Gutierrez. Hi, this is Harry Kewell. And you're, you're listening, listening to The Score. The Score with Michael Clark. I'm a man. And welcome along to The Score here on Lisburn's 98FM and Bangor FM with me, Michael Clark. A lot can happen in a week in football, can't it? Most recently, the IFA, extending the suspension of football in Northern Ireland until the 31st of May and saying that if the Northern Ireland Football League wants to continue, it will have to apply to do so. Will that be the case? Well... At this moment in time, as we sit here, we're still no closer to the answer. Their statement indicates that they're looking at all possible options. But with various leagues around Europe still contemplating whether a return to training is safe and whether returning to competitive action is likely, we're still none the wiser here. However, what we can do each week on the programme is bring you a brilliant guest. And this week, our star turn comes from Crusaders. The score with Michael Clark. Yes, uh, you're listening to the program, which means another week has passed by somehow. It's incredible, and as always, we bring you a special guest on the score every single Friday. This week, it is none other than Crusaders star Paul Heatley. Paul, welcome to the program. How are you, Michael? It's great to have you on the show, Paul. Um, how are you keeping, first and foremost? Ah, oh, we're surviving. You know, everyone's healthy, and I think that's the important thing. Um, the lockdown's a wee bit, bit of a groundhog day every every day. But you know what can you do? There's there's certainly more, more important things going on, and staying indoors is certainly the small sacrifice. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, what are you doing to kind of get yourself into a, a routine? I mean, are you have you have you scheduled your day in some way to keep yourself sane? Uh, I think when you've a wife and three kids, I don't think it's possible to schedule things. <laughs> I think some kids wake up at five, some wake up at six, and you're you're just on the go. But uh, you try and fit in a wee bit of uh, personal training, uh, try and get out for your walks and stay active, and obviously just play with the kids and keep them entertained, and just catch up on your work from home and just try and get on with things and just hope that there's going to be an announcement soon for any sort of relaxation of, of the lockdown. But we all take it one day at a time and just make sure that we're all staying healthy and, and, and safe. What age are your ones now? I mean, there's a wee spread of ages, isn't there? Uh, yeah, yeah. My oldest is now 12. Um, and then I've one at three and one at one. Wow. So, I know, I know. Thank God for a wife then, I'm assuming, you know, when you're playing. I mean, how do you keep up with that otherwise? <laughs> you don't. I think she has most of the responsibility with the kids, unfortunately, for her. Um, between work and football, you're, you're not in the house all too often. So, certainly a lot of the liability falls with falls with her unfortunately so how are you finding that then being in the house all of a sudden are you, are you getting a few extra jobs uh without a doubt we're all becoming master chefs <laughs> <laughs> the oldest the oldest son's wanting to, to bake everything and make everything so then the the, the three-year-old girl wants to get in and start mixing and throwing flour about and getting creative so it gets to be entertaining uh 
but you know, it's all part and parcel of it. It's, it's a bit of fun. It's, it entertains the kids and we all have a bit of a laugh. So it's quite nice to spend a wee bit more time with them, particularly. Um, well, there you the go. If anyone, time. if anyone from the BBC or UTV are listening at home with the Heatleys, there's a show. <laughs> I don't think you get many viewing, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, there's uh, plenty of players who can mix it in the Irish League. This is a very different way of looking at it. I like it. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. You know, it, it certainly entertains us. <laughs> um, what about on the work front? Uh, are you still able to work, or what's going on there? Yeah, I mean. Uh, we recently took over a business there at the start, start of the year, SFG in Belfast. Um, and we're able to go out and certainly look after people who are, you know, issues with their, with their doors and windows, etc. Um, but predominantly, we're pretty much on lockdown as of three or four weeks ago. So it's it's starting to take its toll now in terms of mental tiredness of trying to endure every day. But um, eager to get back at it and, and just get back to work and normality and football again. It's, it's certainly missed once you have a routine and you fall out of it. It's, it's it's quite a big change. That's a nightmare as well, isn't it? I mean, you take over a new business. I'm, I'm assuming you're you're excited. You can't wait to get going, and then all this happens. Oh yeah, you know it's it's not you know it's not like taking over something that was completely new. It's been in existence for about 48 years, and we've known the people for a long time. We're good friends with them, so. It, you know, it's not quite new, like like the normal circumstances. Uh, it's something that we've always been familiar with and been involved in. So it's just sort of a takeover. But uh, yeah, it is. It's, it's something that's been quite an impact with the whole coronavirus. But, you know, you have to deal with things, how they come at you. And fingers crossed, we all come through this stronger and better. Yeah, and obviously, uh, I hope it all goes uh, well for everybody involved. Um, it's funny we've known each other quite a while now, and uh, you know, even sitting doing this interview now, I can't help but be impressed because once upon a time, I did your first ever radio interview in Carrick. <laughs> I remember that so clearly. <laughs> well, what was your version of events that day? Because I remember I don't being talk mischievous. About it. I, I've managed to blank it out, Michael. I don't. I don't recall that. It's in the back of the memory bank. <laughs> Because obviously at that time, Stephen Small was the manager of Carrick Rangers. He was the man that signed you. And um, I think I asked you a question about him. And you, you just thought, I'm just going to wind the manager up here on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> that was the inexperience. Um, yeah, no, like it was, I actually remember that with fond memories. It was a good laugh. Um, and it was all very new to me because I hadn't played football really for, for three or four years. And Carrick then just brought me on board and... All of that sort of, you know, talking to people and anything to do with the media was all very, very new to me. So, yeah, it was, it was a different world back then. Because obviously when you're playing in the, the Premiership, you, you do get more media attention. And needless to say, with Crusaders, you, you get even more than you would at Carrick Rangers. Does anyone prepare you for that or, or give you any training or is it just uh, learn along the way kind of thing? I think you gave me the best training of all, not interviewing Carrick to be fair, Michael. I think <laughs> I took a lot on board from that. Um, no, it's to be honest, you just wing it, don't you? Yeah. You just talk to people like you're talking to a friend, and you know if someone shows interest in in the football or your personal football, um, then it's it's quite a compliment, and it's only fair that you you give the time to to the people interested in it. So always happy to do so. Um, we'll come on to Carrick and Crusaders and stuff, and. It- in a wee moment, but before that, um, am I right in saying you started off, well, probably in Glengormley, but then at Cliftonville? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I started off with a wee team called St Mary's. We were still going very strong, actually, up in Glengormley. Yeah, lovely wee team, and uh, then joined Cliftonville at the age of 14, I think it was. 
right up the reserve level into the first team. Who was about Cliftonville at that time? What was that like? Uh, Eddie Patterson, Marty Todd. We went through a couple of managers actually there and then. I think Eddie was most recent when I was sort of being introduced to the first team, but uh, I was 18, 19, and when I was 19, actually, my partner fell pregnant, who's now my wife, obviously, um, and that was that was a bit of an alteration, and so I had to make the decision between football and, and family, so I, I obviously chose family at the time. I mean, and at that stage in your career, things were going brilliantly. There was a lot of interest in you as well, so that was... I mean, I don't think anyone's going to doubt that you made a brilliant decision there, but it was, a, am sure, a tough one for a young man to make. You know, it, it probably wasn't, to be honest, Michael. Um, you know, you play football at that age purely for the love of the game, as you still do. Um, and in your teenage years, you don't actually think about progression of football. You're just enjoying the aspect of, of, of playing a game of football. Um so in terms of any sort of attention given to me, didn't ever enter my head, or I certainly wasn't aware of it. Um, so when it came to obviously having a child, it was just it was just a normal choice to make and the right decision to make at the time. And obviously, then you've a you've a period away from the game, and is that how did Brantwood come about then? I mean, did you have a friend there? Did someone sort of tempt you back into playing, or were you, were you getting fed yeah, up in that, the house? That's, <laughs> that's exactly it. I actually had a friend, uh, uh, Kieran Carson. Funny enough, yeah. Who also used to play for Clevenville and uh, and he was playing for Brantwood at the time and just said to me, "Do you want to come down and do a wee bit of training and see if you like it?" And I thought, "Oh well, why not?" I'm a wee bit of time now. The things have settled and went down, and did a bit of training, played a few games, and it just sort of escalated from there. How long were you at Brantwood? Oof, that's a good question. I think about nine months. It's not bad going. I mean, you know, in terms of if there was any sort of aspirations to, to kind of kick on from there, it happened fairly quickly. Ah, it did. It was, it was weird. It just, it all seemed to just steamroll naturally, you know, without any sort of effort, which was quite nice because it was just going with the flow. Um, obviously, Carrick then, we played Carrick, uh, we played them in the cup and it was, we did actually very well. I think I finished 3-2 or something to Carrick in the end, but it was a great game. And after the game then, Stevie Small called me in with Michael Hughes, and the rest was history, really. Yeah, because, I mean, I sort of jokingly before likened this to the Sporting versus United Ronaldo signing. They basically went, who the heck's this, and can we get him? <laughs> that is so bad to compare <laughs> me to that. <laughs> I think everyone should put in a complaint around that. Um <laughs> No, I understand what you're saying. It was just sort of, you know, just showing up playing against a team like Carrie Cooper, pretty well renowned, you know, pretty well recognised, and uh, you know, I was delighted that they showed interest and to become involved in them and go and achieve what we achieved as well, which is really nice, great because, to be involved with. Because you know, there would have been a few players in that Carrick team wouldn't have the foggiest notion who you were, and yet still to this day, when you talk to anybody about that match, they say Paul Heatley tore us apart. <laughs> Well, thanks very much. <laughs> well, it's obviously true because they went and signed you. If you had a stinker, you'd probably still be at Brantwood. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Brantwood. Fuck <laughs> um, yeah, you know, all you can do is go out and just enjoy your game and enjoy your football and express yourself to the best of your ability. But, you know, thankfully for me, I've been very blessed to, to achieve what I've achieved. Uh, Crusaders have been phenomenal to me. Uh, second family, without a shadow of a doubt. And Carrick are very, very similar treated me like so so well it's unbelievable and they still do and it's so nice to go back to Carrick playing against them you see so so many familiar faces and they're so accommodating and welcoming to you still so 
really nice taste, you know, great memories and certainly always nice to return to. Well, do you remember, you're talking about returning to Carrick, do you remember after one of the football writers' dinners, we had a chat and I said, here, I'm, I'm playing in a supporters versus players match against Carrick Rangers. Are you about? Right. <laughs> and we, it was all after the season had all finished and stuff before anyone from Crusaders gets too worried. And uh, so it was in the summer. We're all bored. And uh, you showed up as a Carrick Rangers supporter to play against their first team. And you walk into a dressing room full of supporters from the club. And I think they were just completely shocked to see you there. It was it was a very funny day. <laughs> to be honest, that, that didn't even recollect in my mind. Michael, to be honest, I, I just walked in and saw familiar faces and friends, and I was just happy to be a part of it. I think when a club gives so much to you, it's always important to reciprocate that and, and show appreciation back. And any wee things like that, I'm always more than happy to be involved with because it's the least you can do after being given so much in the game. Uh, I certainly remember Michael Hughes' face because he was playing for Carrick Rangers that day and you come onto the pitch and there was probably like a, we sold him, didn't we? <laughs> oh, there was. I remember that with Michael very well. Actually, there were a couple of his uh, classical tackles. We can, all, we can all recollect them, bad boys. <laughs> yes, he, uh, he, he doesn't miss. <laughs> no, he doesn't. And it's not the ball he goes for. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, a very fun day, I think. Um, you know, if you weren't in the team, it would have been an even worse scoreline. I'm not even going to bother getting into how one-sided that was, but uh, when there's supporters <laughs> versus players, you'd probably expect it. Um, when you look back in your time at Carrick, obviously uh, that championship winning season, you know, where you, you win the Intermediate Cup all in the one night, um, that must be one of the big memories for you. Uh, without a doubt, and I think it's, it, it's even big for, you know, Carrick, the people of Carrick, you know, the supporters... And, and the players and the, even the board that were involved there because the turnout for that, that game was phenomenal that night. I think it was a Monday night mm-hmm. in the league uh, at Ballyclare, wasn't it? Yeah. That we played that and the, the support was just unbelievable. Uh, and to hear then, obviously, that we'd won the league then that night as well with um, whatever way it worked out. The other team that were close to us got beat or drew or something, uh, dropped points anyway, and that allowed us to be league, league winners. Um and the score in the last minute of the game as well against Harlan Wolf was just phenomenal. And the celebrations after were just so memorable. It was incredible. I mean, how long was it before the word got in that Limavari and Balamoni had drawn? You know, did, did you realise, because obviously you're celebrating your win there and, and what that means, but all of a sudden, oh, hold on, Limavari have also kind of helped us win the title? Aye, unbelievable. I think it was when everyone ran onto the pitch. When the, when the final whistle blew, they were running on telling us what had happened, and it was just a double celebration. It went long into the night anyway that night, and <laughs> something that you'll never forget. It was so fantastic. That I actually remember I had a really bad ankle injury leading up to that, and I was on the bench that night, funny enough, because I, I was struggling to run. But uh, coming on and sneaking in the winner, it was just in the last kick of the game. And, and they ran up the other end and hit the bar as well. It was just... <laughs> it was unbelievable, the intensity of the game uh, and, and such an exciting finale was was so memorable. What were you like that night sitting on the bench with an injury? I mean, were you basically doing everyone's head in going, get me on, get me on, get me on? Or did you think you weren't coming <laughs> on or what was it like? To be fair, I do remember having two thoughts in my head because one was just get me on, please put me on so I can try and help the team. And the other was, I don't know if I can go on because it really, really hurts. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, you know, your mind and heart are, 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 are tugging away at each other, not knowing which one to, to follow, but thankfully you go with a heart and it, it prevailed. Oh, I mean, and as you say, it's such a memorable night for, for Carrick Rangers supporters still to this day. Um, I'm surprised you can remember that night because quite a few of your teammates were uh, were very good at a party. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, they know how to celebrate as well as win. Yeah, I remember um, the game against Ballon Mallard, which, you know, everything was done by then. And uh, it's, it's a day that I still wind Glenn Taggart up about because he, he scores a goal in that game, goes to celebrate, then kind of catches himself on and fixes his socks. He still says he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn's a good lad. You know, so much experience in the game as well. It was, it was lovely playing under his captainship. And uh, I'm sure he'll he'll remember, have great, great fond memories of, of everything that we've done over the course of that season. Um, and it's something that everyone involved should be, should be really proud of, actually. It was quite unique, especially for the Carrick team. Um, and you can always look back on your medals and, uh, and appreciate what you achieved. Most certainly. I mean, now that he's gone into management, was that any surprise for you, having played with him and obviously him being your captain, seeing what he was like? No, not at all. Um, he always had great leadership. He, he wasn't captain for, for nothing. He, he, he showed great commitment to the club, um, to, to the players around him, and he led, by example, uh, every single week. He uh, he was always delegating, organising, just like a manager would in his playing career, and it was it was a no brainer for him to carry on at the management after after his playing career ended. I mean, for you uh, going to Carton, coming into that side, what was that experience like? Because obviously, I think a lot of people outside looking in have have an opinion of Paul Heatley because you are such a well known name in the local game because uh, you've won so many things. But um, maybe they they wouldn't think that you could be shy or, or timid coming into a dressing room were you or were you confident from the moment you started uh, to be honest Michael as soon as I stepped in the carry my first thought was will I get playing mm-hmm. and it was exactly the same when I joined Crusaders um, went in not really knowing anyone uh, knowing that no one would know me either uh, and I, I knew that I had to prove myself uh, not just in the league but to the team that I was with uh, so going into carry and going into Crusaders it was, it was all about just being able to prove that I was able to play at this level and you know there was certainly no arrogance or or uh, big headedness or anything like that around it it was it was purely getting to know the players and, and try to contribute as much as I could to the team because I really had no experience of of the Irish League and I didn't know if I could make a cut to be honest so you had to prove yourself and make sure that you had the ability to cope who were the big influences when you got the move to Crusaders who were the who were the people that kind of helped you settle in well, I think first and foremost, uh, your first point of contact is the manager and the, and the staff. You know, Stevie Baxter and Jeff were uh, were brilliant in that. Charlie Murphy as well, and big Roy McDonald, Mark Wilson. Everyone makes you feel so welcome. Um, and then you have the likes of Colin Coach, who had just been there and has so much experience. Uh, international caps. You know, he's he's quite quiet and um, in his mannerisms, but he certainly knows how to talk to the players on a one-to-one basis, and he certainly bed in really well for the rest of the team when you went there I mean did it feel like a a big gear change in terms of the aspirations that Crusaders had compared to Carrick who were obviously fighting to try and stay in the top flight when they were in it oh without a shadow of a doubt again when I I remember the first week of joining Crusaders and I just thought will I even be able to get a game in this team because looking around it's many great players you had Davy McMaster on the wing who was doing really really well had been there for several years Davy Rainey up top, and you had so many great, talented players. Uh, they had just won the Stanford Cup as well, so 
their achievements were starting to come in on a, on a regular basis and we were starting to progress into Europe then as well. And I remember my first game was actually against Rosenberg in, in, in Europa League. <laughs> and I'm sort of looking around me and going, what am I doing here, you know? Um, luckily that morning, uh, Davey Rainey came down down to our, our, our room and played the flute and played the sash to, to, to embed us all in the good Catholic Protestant banter. And, uh, that <laughs> did he really? Breaks the ice. Oh, he did. I, yeah, he's very good. Davey was so funny and so intricate, you know, uh, he was an important part of the team, you know, the camaraderie of the team and and making people feel at ease. You know, fantastic player and fantastic guy, actually. You see, I, I love those stories because that's the sort of banter that goes on that uh, obviously, you know, a lot of supporters just never hear about. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. And then obviously the, the, uh, the responsibility of having to sing a song in public as well, you know, to, to break the ice. Any new player that joins the team has to sing a song and the team gets to pick where they sing it. So, Singing in an airport or in the middle of a, a, a an unknown city isn't uh, <laughs> isn't quite the scariest, but it's certainly up there, and it's uh, it's a pressurising situation to do when they're videoing you as well and all laughing. But you see, because it's one way to break the ice. Sean O'Neill has told me about these uh, incredible little processes that they have, and I'm sure there's more that maybe you can't go into. But where so did they make you sing in an airport? Uh, I had a, I actually got off very lightly. There were there was about three or four of us that had to sing. So one of us had to sing in the airport, uh, Belfast Airport. One had to sing in uh, where did we fly into? Some part in in, in Norway anyway. Um, had to do a song. Uh, I actually only had to sing in the in the city, which wasn't too bad. So there weren't too many people about because it was a university town. So all all the uni students were away. Um, so I was I was I got a lucky break on that part. But uh, what was your song? Oh, I'm not going into that, Michael. There's an old school one, and people will judge me on that. <laughs> I think I think we need to know now. We'll start at the story. No, there's no way. There's certain other players that have sang Skater Boy and everything, so I'll, I'll, not, I'll not stitch them up because I know they could stitch me up. Oh, that sounds very interesting now. See, uh, we're, we're being deprived there, Paul. You've teased us of that one. Um, and was this all before the game, or was it on your way back? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all before the game, yeah. Wow. So before you go and train on the pitch the night before, train at Rosenberg's ground at... Uh, it's it's <laughs> it certainly alleviates the stress of of the match you're about to play. Uh, there's probably nothing that can really prepare you for playing a team like Rosenberg either. I mean, the the standard obviously is incredible. Oh, without a doubt, and I think since then we've got on no disregard to the Rosenberg, but we've we've been blessed with playing even stronger teams like Wolves and Copenhagen and Ludogorets. The list is endless, you know. So it's such a privilege to be involved in games like that, and. Um, they have been there and experienced the cities and the, the stadiums and everything that goes along with it. It's fantastic. Because I think any time you speak to a player that's played in their first sort of European fixtures, it's always that kind of, <gasps> whoa, that realisation that these guys are obviously full-time professionals. They're, some of them paid a, a fortune. <laughs> you know, you're going to get a really good standard. Once you've been through that, it probably makes it easier to, to have the mentality to know what's coming up. And as you said, you know, you have got to play against some amazing teams over the years the the wolves game uh, the two games they must be you know two of the most special memories of your career oh without a doubt i mean you even you go across the wolves and you look at the lineup and you're thinking what are we going to do against these guys you know these are experienced internationals who have played in world cups and, and euros and have established themselves at the highest level and you're you're looking and going how do we cope with this but it's weird because it has a, a 
some in some ways it inspires you just to pull together even closer and and you know the job that you have to do and there's certainly no room for error and uh i think we've gone out every time each year and, and uh, displayed a great example of ourselves and managed to put in a great performance i mean away to, away to wolves molyneux to be one nil down in 93 minutes is is phenomenal for a team like us you know and then to bring them back to Seaview and manage to take the lead against them is is even more incredible obviously 30 seconds later they ran up and just punished us <laughs> <laughs> the ability that they have um but they at least say that you, you were in the game for such a long period of time and uh, you held your own against them is is a credit to the club a credit to the manager and a credit to the players well you probably never thought in your career that you were going to be at a premier league ground playing in europe and when you concede deep into stoppage time you're going to feel a bit disappointed Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, I actually spoke to the manager uh, last week on the phone, just talking about things, how we were all doing, and I, we still reflect on that game, just thinking, imagine we had to went in at 1-0 into the second leg, and then we got that early goal in the in the second leg. It would be one each. God knows what could have happened, you know. Um, but it's all ifs and buts, and you reflect on it and just be proud that you were involved in it, and you made such a great account of yourselves, you know, as a team and, and individually, and it's something that will live long in the memory. You probably didn't think that it would be playing a game at Wolves. It would be one of the warmest ever <laughs> as well. <laughs> it never helps. I remember going to Ludogratz and it was the same boat as well. You know, you had these these people were just like machines uh, over in Bulgaria and the temperature was about 30 degrees and you're looking and going, what are we going to do here? <laughs> but uh, that didn't go too well. I think we got beat seven mm. out there. <laughs> Whereas Wolves was a, a lot more respectable at two. It probably should have just been one, but Still experiences that you'll you'll never forget and you can be so proud of being involved in. It was obviously the heat and litter grits, obviously. Oh, that was definitely the impact, yep, absolutely. The opening goal against uh, Wolves at Seaview then, I mean, on the radio at the time, because I was, I was covering a game at Super Cup NI, so I was driving down the road and I, I had it on uh, the radio and at the initially they gave the goal to you um, and then the dubious goals panel took it off you. I mean, what's your take on that? Was it yours or were, were they right? <laughs> Um, I think you're always best to go on what was first originally said, Michael. I think. <laughs> the old mastermind will. Um, no, look, as long as there's no video analysis looking back, look back on, um, I'll say it's mine, but I think it's pretty clear that it was, it was an own goal. But even still, you know, to be credited for a goal for maybe 10 minutes <laughs> I know, was... against a team like Wolves is, 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 a, is a nice wee experience. But I would just, you know, individually doesn't really matter. We've always said that it's a collective effort and, just to be so proud of, of being able to win as a team and put in a performance like that and, and at least get a goal against a, such a high-level team is, is a great achievement in its own right. What's going through your mind when that ball hits the net? Do, is it like an outer-body moment, is it? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. You just you lose all control and you just go wild celebrating, but then three seconds later you realise that you're, you're still not winning in aggregate and you need to do something more. Um <laughs> And on hindsight, we probably should have taken our time and our celebrations because we were too quick to return the kickoff. And 30 seconds later, they go down and score a goal, and it's good night to us. But um, yeah, it was it was a nice experience to to see the ball hit the net now and be involved in it. Great cross in from Jordy Forsyth, I remember. And you know, when you're playing against the likes of Connor Cody and you know so many talented players in there, to to, to get a goal against them is phenomenal. Well, I would imagine so. I mean, when it comes to looking back over some of the defenders that you've come up against, uh, I know Michael Hughes is a tough tackler, but there must have been a few others. To be fair, it's it's, it's a different world out there and how they play their football. They're not overly aggressive. I mean, I remember 
up against Adam Atrori. Uh, me and Jarley O'Rourke in the left because essentially we were two left backs that night. Um, and coming up against Adam Atrori, we were expecting real physicality, but it doesn't seem to be that way in other leagues, especially in the likes of Central or Eastern European football. It's all very neat and tidy and not a great deal of physicality, and that's that's actually worked to our advantage over the years. Um, going out and getting a performance out in Estonia against uh, Nevada Tallinn and going through to the next round in Champions League. Our physicality and our, our work rate seem to prevail over their their neat football style, so it certainly has its advantages. I mean, if anyone's just landed from Mars, you're not six foot five and eighteen stone. No, six foot two and seventeen stone. <laughs> <laughs> Has it ever been hard for you in, in the league? Because obviously you're known for your blister and pace, Paul. But um, you, you're a more slight physique in comparison to other players. W- was that ever a, a problem for you? Not really a problem. You just learned to take the hits. You know, you knew each game you're probably going to go a few feet up in the air at times, and uh, you just brace your body for it. Uh, so there's a little damage done as possible, but you know, it's all part and parcel of the game. It's a physical game. It's a contact sport and you can expect strong tackles in the Irish League and you just learn to adapt and alter your game to it and make sure that uh, you get the better of your opponent and not let them get the opportunity to do so. You know, when you're heading into those games, what's your mentality like, you know, because off the pitch, you're you're very mischievous and you like a you like a joke and you like sort of winding people up. On the pitch, are you the same or, or how, how different is it? Um, probably on the pitch, most people describe me as a, as a hellion. Um, and you really do have different personas on and off the pitch. I think that's recognisable for any player. Um, you know, you look in the game and you think, oh, that player's a horrible, horrible person because on the pitch they're a horrible, horrible people. <laughs> but really off the pitch they're, they're really nice down the earth, accommodating people who are, you know, very humble and, and respectful of others and you do you, you embrace a different personality once you walk onto the pitch. You know you're going to be physical, you're going to be arrogant, you're going to be nasty, and you know that's just part and parcel of it. You have to you have to do those things to get the right result and and to showcase your ability. And you can't be walked over in a game. You have to show that you're going to stand up to people and not let them walk all over you. I mean that's such a good example to try and set for young footballers maybe listening to this uh, program today or, or catching up with our podcast. What allows you to get into that mentality? Because I can't imagine the first game of football you ever play, you go, well, here's how I'm going to approach this. That, I mean, that doesn't enter your head when you're a kid. So how do you kind of get that laser focus? Um, I think it's just through experience. You know, Michael, it's it's a bit like a school bully. Um, the opposition are going to do anything and everything to stop you if you're if you're considered a threat to them. Um, and once you get put up in the air a few times with a few really bad tackles, maybe even kicked off the ball, you have to just make a decision of will I accept this or will I respond in the right manner. Over the years, I've responded in the wrong manner and got sent off. <laughs> but I've, <laughs> I've managed to adapt that. Thanks to the gaffer constantly telling me three times a week. Um, and, you know, again, you just adapt to the game and, and make sure that you respond and stand up for yourself in the right way. And eventually things will settle down and you'll, you'll gain the respect of your opposition and they'll know that if they do something, they can expect a response. Yeah, I was trying to decide before this whether you were more a Jack Russell or a Whippet, because you certainly have the pace, but then you do like yapping. <laughs> you can be both. <laughs> you can be both. I think you're right there. Um, was there any of your teammates when you signed for Crusaders that surprised you that they weren't like what you thought they might be like just because of how they were on the pitch when you'd played against them? I don't think so, Michael. The weird thing is I've never really paid much attention to the other players ever because... 
having left the game at a young age and then coming back, it was all so new to me. I didn't really know anyone, whether it was teammates or, or opposition players, whereas people who were involved in the game over the years would know every opposition and know what they're like, what their personality and their, 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 their style of play is like. I literally didn't know anything. So when I joined Crusaders, I didn't know anyone, but I got to know them all and I knew their style of playing. It was great to have them on board because I knew who were the tough ones. Um, and when you came up against players, you literally had no idea, but you got to learn just as you played them more and more. And and that's just the way it went. So I never really had a, a perception of any players. And I didn't know. I was going into it blindsided and just playing the game the way it came. So... Um, the other day was uh, five years since you won your first league title. Do you remember that day? Oh yeah, absolutely. Talk us through the memories of of the occasion because you scored on, uh, in that fixture as well. Uh, you know what? It's again, it doesn't boil down to who scores or who does what in the game. I just remember the celebrations, knowing that we had finally achieved it. Um, Cliftonville. Oh, up at uh, Solitude. I was, the biggest memory is the gaffer breaking the fence, climbing it, celebrating. <laughs> and I think he did it the following year, funny enough. Um, but, you know, we were always confident that year I actually got married and I missed the quarter down game uh, on our honeymoon. Came back and the gaffer told me on the Friday I had to make it up to the team. And on the Saturday he played me and thankfully I managed to score the winner and we managed to win the league that, that day and the celebrations that followed were just unforgettable. What's it like telling Stephen Baxter you're going to miss a game of football? <laughs> it's certainly not healthy and it's not wise. Um, <laughs> but it's it's certainly uh, one of the only excuses you can give him that he'll understand. Um, he's a family man himself. He, he understands the players have personal lives and there's certain things that just can't be missed. Uh, and and uh, certainly a wedding and a honeymoon is one of those things. So uh, certainly wouldn't change it, but delighted that I could make it up to the team and Thankfully, there were no uh, repercussions on the matter. We managed to win the league and everything ended well. There must have been a part of your head coming up to the wedding going, I don't know whether you're going to be brave enough to admit this, where you're going, oh, look at the way the dates fall. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I contemplated. I had a discussion with the wife about could I possibly get married and then I go play the game and then we'll have a reception. <laughs> um, she said, blatantly, no, that's not happening because it was Easter Tuesday and you always have an evening game on Easter Tuesday. Yeah. So it, it could have been done, but she certainly wasn't playing ball on that part. No, do you um, know, that's, that's quite funny because um, it's going back a wee bit with Gary Hamilton on the show and I was telling him at the time, and this is probably going to make me sound ungrateful, but I'm, I'm digging you out of a hole by digging myself on, right? Uh, so for my 30th birthday, which was just in January, I... As part of my present, got a trip to Belgium booked, but it was also going to fall with just the weekend gone there, the last week of the season. And I spent a couple of weeks being happy that I had a holiday coming up, but also being raging that it was the date that it was, because it's kind of like, <laughs> do you not realise the way I work? So, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, everything's worked out. Clearly, I didn't get to go to Belgium, and clearly there's bigger things to worry about in the world, but it was funny. Yeah. So I just thought, if I was going, oh, Belgium, well, that's not going to really suit, because then what if I miss someone winning the league? I, I thought, you're bound to have thought that yourself. <laughs> yeah, without a shadow of doubt. It, when you play football, and it's it's what you've done for so long, you know, you eat, drink, and breathe it, don't you? Everything in your head orientates around it. Um, anything that you're planning or looking to do, you think, can I do that with football? Will I miss a game? Will I miss training? Um, but as I say, certainly getting married is one of them exemptions. Oh, well, yeah. And, uh, you're fairly important on that day. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I, I think I'm just reminding the gaffer if he's listening. <laughs> so he doesn't have anything to say on it. But uh, no, it's it's 
footballs your your be all and end all, but there's certain things in life you have to put uh, before it and prioritize, and that's certainly one of those things. And you certainly would never change it because it's it's should be a once in a lifetime thing, and it was it was fantastic for us. So thankfully everything worked out well, and you can move on. Be happy that you've got the experience, everything that you've experienced. And certainly that other wonderful marriage on the pitch between you and Jordan Owens that season. I mean, you were on fire. I think you got over 50 goals between the pair of you. You scored more than half the league, and that was just the two <laughs> of you. Uh, the, that, having Jordan Owens as that you know target man, that, that pivotal point in the team, uh, it must be such a, a, a relief for you because you know if you can't score them, there's, there's someone else there to do a lot of it. Oh, without a doubt. Jordan's one of the most selfless players you'll ever come across. Um. He, he's he's a team player. He, he he just puts his body on the line week in week out. And you know, I always have a wee tradition that um I count up to either eighteen or twenty two for some reason because that's both of our numbers. If I don't score, I want him to score. Right. That's always been the way, and it'll always continue. So so what you have to score eighteen, or he has to score eighteen minimum? No, no. I just count, for some reason I count up the eighteen or twenty two in a weird way. Whatever way it falls. It has to end on 18 or 22 because it's either me or him going to score. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> I don't know why. It's a weird superstitious thing. When did you first realize you were slightly strange, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> Probably about four years old, Michael. <laughs> uh, the incredible thing about the Crusaders team, obviously uh, three league titles with them now, uh, you've Irish Cup success, I know you missed the County Antrim Shield final through injury and that was a, a bonkers game, but you've been able to amass so many different achievements. Um, what what of those is your favourite, or do you have one? Uh, I think the league titles will never lead you, uh, as well as the Irish Cup. Um, but as I always say to the gaffer, it's uh, I love Europe. It's winning the league's brilliant for winning the league, but it's it's what the league win gets you, and that's Champions League football and getting to go to places that we've got to go to, Bulgaria. Uh, take your pick uh, Estonia and Lithuania um, the list is endless obviously Wolves in England and Bulgaria and even Albania horrendous experience but you still got to go out and play a team in Albania and not many people can say that um, and they're the things that you get the experience that very few other players get to ever, ever do and that's something that I'll always remember European football and and rightly so. It's the stuff of dreams, really, isn't it? Being able to to say, well, I've been on that pitch. Do, are you a torture? You see, when the, the Europa League's on or anything, are you sitting with a, a mate sometimes, going, I've uh, I've actually played them. <laughs> if I come across it, funny enough, I will drop to the eldest child and say, here, I actually got to play there. <laughs> Maybe I remember playing at the Tele Two Arena in um, in Sweden, mm-hmm. in Stockholm, and I think. Um, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic scored a big wonder goal or something that year against England and I remember turning to my eldest and saying I was there you know just to let him know I've seen that stadium yeah. um, so it's nice wee fond memories and it's something you can look back on personally but it's you know it's something personal to you and it's, it stays within you and it's it's certainly not something you go around broadcasting because you have to have a great deal of humility because at the end of the day we're Irish League we're not Premier League um, but it's the experiences you get to achieve by winning the league going to Europe and and experiencing everything that comes with that, not just the, the footballing aspect, but the fun aspect of the team going mm. together, traveling together, you know, a private flight there and back. It's the whole experience, it's the whole package. Did the opportunity ever arise for you to look at moving across the water and playing? I, I'm the wrong person to ask, Michael. I think, I think you need to ask a guy for that one because I've, I've never asked the question. I've never 
got involved with and I've always considered myself under contract of the club and my only ever focus was the club. Oh, you see, there's there's the trick. You need an agent. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. No, I think I'm, it's too far gone now. I, I'll enjoy the, the experiences that I've got to achieve and uh, and be delighted with no regrets of, of how my, the career's panned out. Stephen had that phone disconnected years ago. Did you not know? <laughs> no, I didn't. But it makes sense any time I try to ring him. It was engaged then. Because, you know... Throughout your career, I think there's been certainly people have looked and gone, I wonder about Paul. And I'll be honest, um, I had a conversation a few years back with Michael O'Neill and he was saying, look, you know, players like you should have been across the water. You, you know, they felt that you had that ability. And that's obviously someone who's had great success as Northern Ireland manager saying that. So um, it isn't just me being nice to you because you're on my show. <laughs> okay, it's nice to hear, you know. People judging your, your your career and judging how how you perform on the pitch and showing consistency, and I think that's key. Uh, but you know, regardless of, of what could have been or what may have happened, it doesn't really matter because you look back on your career and you look back at you know the family you've got outside of football and um, the life that you have and the comforts, the home comforts, and the achievements that you've managed to to gain in Irish League football. And it's certainly something to be proud of, not sniff that. You know, Irish League football offers you an incredible amount um, and it's a great platform for young young players looking to go across the water because it does create recognition and it's getting more and more attention as the years go, go on so it's something to be proud of you look back and say you know I managed to achieve that whether it was um, you know player of the year or top goal scorer or you know winning the league winning the Irish Cup doesn't really matter because all of them are, are great achievements and it's something to be really proud of in your career. And certainly, obviously, Crusaders fans will be able to look at some of the players that have gone across as Stuart Dallas's, who I think has just been voted Leeds uh, Fans Player of the Year, and, and more recently, Gavin White. It's kind of hard to believe he's been across the water for a couple of years now. Yeah, without a doubt. And it's fantastic to see that they're coming from the Irish League, you know, let alone Crusaders Football Club. It shows the the, the potential that's there in the Irish League, especially for young players. Uh, you've had Joe Gormley and Boise and everyone go across, so there's opportunity there. And, you know, if you're a young player looking to progress into the game you, you, you shouldn't just disregard the Irish League because it, it, it can be a great stepping stone for, for your career Because you've played in the league for such a period of time now I mean do you feel the standard is increasing do you feel, do you feel like the league is changing in any way? I think in the last sort of 12 to 18 months Michael it's changing yeah um, you have so many teams that are getting a bit of investment and going full time you have Linfield, Cliftonville, you've Coleraine up in their levels, you've Balamina up in their levels, you've got Glen Thorne now pretty much full-time, you've Larm. You know, you're looking at the top six and going, you know, that's a really, really tough set of opposition to, to actually get results against. Um, and the league's strengthening every year. It's great to see that it's progressing really well and you're going more full-time. You're getting players from different countries now starting to come in, so it's, it's certainly developing really well, and I'm sure in the next few years it'll go even further. Because there's so many competitive personalities in the league, and I know that you play with quite a few of them. That it must be when it, when there's a season where I think third at the moment, obviously, you know, if we ever get to finish it. But there's there's so many guys in that dressing room that will not be happy with third or second. How hard is it to play for Crusaders with your teammates in a year when you don't win the league? I mean, is it is it tough at times? Oh, without a doubt. Um, you know, you look back in the last five years and we've, you know, we've won three and we've finished second and third, I think. Um, but regardless, we've always won something. 
Uh, you know, even if you look at the double last season for the Irish Cup in the, the County Antrim, mm-hmm. it's still two two trophies that have been won uh, the year before the league in the County Antrim. Uh, you throw in, you know, a couple more league titles in the last five years. It's 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 an incredible achievement. And then even further from that, you're now getting to a, a point where you're expected to progress into the next round in Europe. And we have been blessed to do that. Obviously, Faroe Islands getting through and getting Wolves. Uh, we've beaten the likes of obviously Lavadia Talon, we've, we've beaten other teams there to progress and, and that's certainly now a, a, a platform that we expect to achieve every single time. You know, we, we now expect to be in the first round to be progressing into the next round in Europe and, and that's that's the minimum that we now expect. So that all increases and, and the demand is even higher. The supporters now expect more and, and it's challenging. You know, it's important to keep keep progressing and working even harder than you, you do the year before and when the teams around you are strengthening, you have to go even stronger and work even harder. Has that made this season particularly difficult in, in a sense? Because obviously there is a lot of competition there, but um, the, the hopes of winning one or two trophies maybe faded away. Yeah, and that's that's something that players who have been there for you know a number of years will find difficult to accept. Um, but you have to take the negatives with the positives and uh, just accept that it hasn't been your year and use it as inspiration to go and progress even further next year and, and overachieve next year to compensate for underachieving this year. You know, it's probably scary to think about, you know, you being a, a veteran in a dressing room. Did you ever think this would be the case? I don't know what you're talking about, Michael. I'm 22. <laughs> <laughs> I know it is funny because you look around from, you know, I've been there eight years now and you look around at the players who would have been there eight years ago and there's only a select few left and it's, it's unbelievable how things change. The amount of players that come in and out of, of a of a team is phenomenal. But you know the core of the team always remains strong uh, together. You know you've had Billy Joe Burns there for a brief while. You've Sean O'Neill, Declan Cadell, Philly Laurie now, Hard Beverland, building up a few years, and and that's how it progresses. That's just the nature of football, and you make sure that you stay together. And anyone that comes into the team are introduced really well, and they're made to feel at home, and they're made to feel like family, which is something that Crusaders always do. And have done uh, a very good job on, you know, when it comes to your teammates, this is your chance now to stitch a few of them up. Um, <laughs> well, I, I reckon people listening might be able to guess some of these answers, but who is the biggest wind-up merchant in the team? Oh, Sean O'Neill. It's <laughs> so maybe not a surprise. Well, it's a good wind-up. <laughs> you know, Sean's, Sean's a lovable rogue. He's a great character, and for all of his, uh, his teasing and winding up, it actually has a great positive benefit to the team. Yeah, it brings everyone together, creates a great laugh, and uh, and it, it creates a great bond. So it's it's all positives from his wind-up. So long may I continue. One example that I've uh, experienced, and this is probably quite mild, so I'll share it, is we were doing an interview for the radio after a game. I think we were in Dungannon, and you'd set your mobile phone on silent and you put it on the desk in front just to make sure it didn't ring. And it was lighting up as we were live chatting away. And it was Sean texting you prompts of things that he might want you to say on the radio. Just get this in. Find a way to say this. Yeah, there's a few of them things I wouldn't be allowed to say on the radio. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's great crack. You know, Sean's actually, again, he's very selfless. He's very generous. When we go out, he makes sure that all the players are looked after. And um, and there's certainly a side of Sean that, that everyone should, should recognize. It's not just... Uh, his talents on the pitch, it's, it's, it's his personality off it that's, that's irreplaceable. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Because it's quite often the players that rival fans hate are actually some of the nicest people. 
Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, yeah, absolutely. And that's you can see a pattern right across the board on that. Um, you know, likes of Michael Galt is a perfect example. I remember playing against Michael Galt and thinking he was the most horrible person in the country. <laughs> and then he joined us and two months later I'm helping him move out of his apartment and carry a sofa in. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it just is unbelievable because off the pitch, he's, he's the nicest guy on earth. God help you helping him. Did he even show up on time for his own house? Uh, I don't know about that. I think he was in. So thank goodness for that. But he does take his time now. His, his timekeeping's not great, but uh, we managed to get the sofa in, in the end. So uh, thank goodness for that. Uh, throughout uh, your career, you've obviously uh, made some great friendships as well. Who would you say are some of your, your best friends in football? Uh, you know, funny enough, they're... they're it's hard to you know mention individual names because you're a team and and you celebrate as a team you suffer as a team you uh you bond as a team you don't really have the wee separate cliques um and i wouldn't like to think that there's people that are i'm closer to in the team because we are such a strong unit um so i'll not certainly mention names but i'm sure the individuals that i'm closer with will know that so no need to say and when you finally, you know, get out and celebrate with your your big collective group, then since you're all nice and tight knit, who's the one most likely to dodge around? <laughs> There's a lot of them in there. I don't think you could single out anybody. Um, I think you're best asking the opposite question of who's going to buy around. <laughs> but uh, the nice thing is we always have a wee kitty, so uh, no one's ever out of pocket. We always put in a money into a wee kitty every week um is that for all your red cards or oh well a red car is a big thing like so we try to avoid them um but you know for lateness or forgetting a top or forgetting shin guards or forgetting you know if your boots are dirty we things like that and it all goes into the kitty and we all get to enjoy a night out uh on ourselves (laughs) um so so not very often you have to put your hand in your pocket and you're you're treated brilliantly and the players have a great laugh with the staff as well so it's certainly worthwhile it's a good way to turn a negative into a positive Oh, it is all right, yeah. You certainly you have to put in money for every goal you can see it as well, which isn't great. Like, oh, not wow. this season. <laughs> <laughs> so who's who's always getting fined then for, for silly things? Oh, well, before I left, Colin Coach was just shocking. Like, beyond belief, shocking. Um, <laughs> Daggy Cadell could be quite bad at times. Jordan Owens and Kyle Owens as well. Skimmer, gee whiz. Yeah, Skimmer's the biggest culprit there, without a doubt. Um, so we've quite a lot of dopes. <laughs> but the good good thing of that is the money goes up very quickly and you get to have a really good night out oh fantastic uh, well I'm sure obviously first and foremost when it's safe to do so you just love to be able to, to finish the season and, and see all your mates again are you able to keep in well obviously technology allows you to keep in touch with them are you trying are you are you zoom quizzing or what are you doing oh, we'll keep in touch you know we'll have the whatsapp we'll have you know the connections there to keep in touch and we'll have a wee bit of banter um but, you know, so many people have their families and, you know, a lot of, a lot of players have young kids now. And, you know, you have to respect that there's there's obligations on that side. But uh, we're all just so eager to get back to it. You, you miss the, the fun, the camaraderie, the, the laughs that you have, the club and the training. You actually miss the physical training together, you know, getting stuck in and, and tackling and, and practicing all sorts and having a bit of a laugh with Jeff Spears, who's the huffiest but nicest guy on earth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who likes to rip into people and you miss all that you know you miss the the routine of it all and i'm sure everyone at the club's just eager to get back to the normality and and get going again yeah i'm, I'm sure they are just finally i guess because it's always a conversation people always talk about uh synthetic surfaces how have you found it now you know eight years at the club the the old bones haven't uh fallen to pieces yet 
God, they're still young bones, Michael. <laughs> um, no, you know, I, th- I think it's certainly it's very advantageous to have it. Um, it takes a wee bit of a uh, getting used to, but having been there for eight years, you you would choose it now over grass. Um, the weird thing is probably going one week from the 4G onto the grass pitch, hmm. you, you feel the difference in the body at times, um, especially some of the pitches. You know, you go to Balamina now, that's really good pitch. Glenavon can be really good. Windsor, obviously, and then you're going to the likes of Warren Point that can be dug up or, you know, different condition pitches, and you feel the effects of it. But, you know, it's something you, you just get used to and, and, uh, and make sure that you get the right result regardless and prepare well. Do you have a, a favourite pitch to go to? It might not be the best pitch, but is there a ground where you kind of feel like I'm gonna? I always do well here. Weirdly, it's probably the worst pitch in the country. It's probably Cliftonville's, right? Because it's it's quite an old three G. It's very dry. It's very sticky. It's slow, and you have all them wee pebbles everywhere. It's oh, it's a nightmare. But you know, weirdly on the flip side, I seem to do very well there and score a good few goals there. So that's probably my favourite pitch. There you go. Well, I'm I'm sure there'll be a few tweets from Cliftonville fans afterwards thanking you for saying that. But uh, I know. <laughs> when you when you've got a league winning goal there, it's hard to argue. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, Paul, thanks so much for coming to the program. I hope you you keep well and you uh, don't have too many other weird superstitions that you pick up in the next few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> no, just at eighteen and twenty two, Jordan. I hope appreciates that one. <laughs> well, there you go, uh, Paul Heatley, our special guest this week on the Score. The Score with Michael Clark. Well, that is pretty much it. Our time is up again this week. Thank you so much for your company, as always. It should be pointed out, we recorded this on Thursday. So if any big decisions have happened in the last 24 hours, you can forgive me for not mentioning them by now. Before I finish up, I just wanted to say a massive congratulations to Michael Forbes, the Dungannon Swifts youngster signed for West Ham United officially on Wednesday, on his 16th birthday, no less. What a very special way to mark that. I think when I turned 16, I just had an extra amount of cake. So uh, well done, Michael. I saw him play in Super Cup NI last year against Manchester United. Very good young defender. And we, of course, wish him all the best from all of us here on The Score. If you have a sports story you want to send to us, if you want to mention on the show in future weeks, do let us know. The Score and I is on Facebook and Twitter. And you can catch up with past programs in case you've got a bit of extra time in your hands via our SoundCloud or by following us on Anchor and subscribing via whichever podcast platform suits you best. But for now, all that remains to be said is enjoy your weekend, whatever you get up to. Take care.